Welcome to another fine episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show, everyone. My name is Alon. And I'm Aura. And I'm Tristan. Tristan is here. So, Tristan, where were you last week? I was at GDC. GDC. And what does GDC stand for? Uh, Game Developers Conference. The Game Developers Conference. Yes. Why were you there? Uh, so, we were there doing kind of guerrilla promotion of our game Grave, which we just launched as a Kickstarter today. Okay, before you move on, who's we? Um, so, we is Broken Window Studios, which is my independent studio that I founded with my wife, Abby, and uh, with Daniel Strayer, who's our programmer. Um, we have... Uh, we have a couple of people on the side who also do a few things for us, but that's kind of the, the main team that we okay, have. Okay, so three people window. were there. I'll let you actually, see. Daniel couldn't go. Um, Two people were there. Yeah, he's actually about to uh, have a commitment ceremony with his fiance, so he had to make some arrangements, couldn't come. Wow. Um, so it was just me and quick, Abby. Quick tangent, what's a commitment ceremony? Um, so it's a, it's a marriage that is not exactly a marriage. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure on all of the details of this. It's like they're getting married, but they're doing kind of like an informal, formal thing. Is this and because one of them is already married and can't get a divorce? No, it's not that. Um, I, I probably shouldn't be spilling all of his personal details on the radio. But, no, no, this is just um, generic. <laughs> you know what? This, this is something I can get behind. And, and also, um, I think... Look, I'm just going to surmise what I think it is so you don't have to talk. Okay. <laughs> and I think what it is is it's just it's a it's something to do so that you express that uh, you two have some commitment between each other, but you don't want to call it marriage because the institution of marriage um, is lame. Well, well, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Outdated. That's a, also a very PC way to put it. Meanwhile, two, two of the three of us are totally married. And one of, right. them, one of them is about to pop out a commitment baby. <laughs> that, those are usually pretty committed. Yeah. Um, okay, good. So you were down at GDC to promote Grave. Now, we've been seeing Grave, like, I mean, outside the context of this show. We've, we've seen it for a while now. It's been evolving. Um, where, where is it in its stage of completeness? Um, so, well, first of all, I wanted to mention we were lucky enough to get the game shown at The Mix, which was an IGN-sponsored event, which was yeah. pretty cool. Um, so we got a bunch of uh, game industry press taking a look at it, and we had a few articles Basically, like, us. you were on display at GDC yeah. in official content. Well, yeah. and kind of like the GDC after hours. Okay. So, and that was, that was pretty good. It was a great opportunity for us to show off the game. Um, and then as far as, like, your question, though, um, Grave is... Basically ramping up into our full production. Um, and so that's why we launched the Kickstarter, is because we want to move into finalizing the product and actually turning it into something that people can buy and that experience fully. Um, it started off as a global game jam in 2013, um, January 2013. And then we basically were experimenting with some open-world horror concepts, and then we threw it away and didn't think about it too much after a little bit of development. And then we found out that a bunch of people were playing it on YouTube, and we just had, like, a dozen YouTube Let's Play videos. So we decided to jump back in and do a little bit more work on it, and it kind of has gradually snowballed into a full development of um, what I would refer to as a surrealist procedural survival horror game. Okay. So... You've got a Kickstarter. Yes. People are already playing something that you would describe as an alpha, I'm guessing? Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that it is an alpha. I, the, the version that we're describing, um, that we're showing right now, is four months of dedicated development on this current state of the game. So I would say that it's uh, an early taste of what the game is going to be when we launch it in early 2015. 
Um, but it gives an idea of some of the things that we have to offer, like the game mechanics that we're utilizing and items and inventory and how the game balance is kind of coming together. Okay, so if you had to pitch this to someone who hasn't seen this game before, like probably everyone. Sure. Um, and you said surrealist survival horror. Okay. Does that what mean you- that you get to fight melting clocks? Um, so we, we aren't necessarily committing to melting clocks. But we are going to um, have some Dali reference would be to. Very disappointed. I mean, well, we don't want Dali to feel ripped off in his yeah. grave. Well, at least like have like um, naked torsos with drawers coming out of. Them. We don't not have that. So. <laughs> um, but what is that? Is it? I mean, sure. It's it is a three D world where you walk around from a first or third or eighteenth person perspective. Okay. Yeah. So let me go through the kind of description then. Um, the game is first person, um, and our goal is to do two things. One, we wanted to create. An environment that is very evocative of Salvador Dali-esque surrealist painting aesthetic. So the environment is a very like barren wasteland landscape with kind of strange objects and environment pieces that pop in and out of existence while you play. Um, so every time the day and night progresses, something new materializes in the landscape. And we're using that to create kind of like a a surrealist open world that messes with your head while you play and becomes a little bit more extreme as it goes. But it's also horror, so I imagine there's some sort of antagonist right. trying to mess so with you. When, when the sun sets, or at least at the beginning when the sun sets, it may change a little bit as the game progresses, but um, you encounter strange creatures in the night. And these creatures are unpredictable, so there may be various types. Um, we have a few types in our version right now. Um, and the uh, the game basically is um, presenting you with a hybrid between classic survival horror and kind of modern horror where you don't have a whole lot of um, tools at your disposal. So we wanted to take an experience that kind of blended those two ideas. So there are no weapons, no guns, or traditional like knives or stabbing weapons or anything like that in Grave. But what there are are tools, largely light-based, that you can use to either ward off or um, fight to some degree the kind of creatures that you face. But it's different for every creature. Not everything will react the same way to the items that you have. So we're, uh, we're kind of solving that inventory problem in survival horror games by making it that it's contextual, that it's about the decision you make rather than explicitly how well you manage your inventory as the only solution for, for success. Okay. So not being a veteran of horror okay. games, uh, it's hard for me to completely understand this, but it seems that this game is getting a lot of attention and some people are liking it. Yeah, I mean, so we had uh, PewDiePie, I think that's how you say it, PewDiePie played it, um, and that, that, that got three million views with our original <laughs> prototype. We're hoping to get him the new version soon and see if he can play it. Um, because we showed at GDC, we have a lot of people who are interested in doing articles and interviews, so um, in the next week or so, the game is going to be kind of building momentum pretty quickly. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're just excited by how happy... Uh, the audience seems to be to see the game coming out because it, it seems like something that's actually filling a hole that a lot of people have wanted to have filled for a while in this absence of a survival horror genre. So that that's kind of where we're putting our focus right now to, to make sure that that's accomplished with the game. All right. Cool. And this uh, the Kickstarter is... I mean, what, what exactly are you asking for? Just some period of time, just give us some money and okay. we want to finish the game? Yeah, so um, we, we did a lot of research on setting up Kickstarter 
And there have been a few Kickstarter projects that um, have been horror-themed and actually haven't gotten their funding recently. And like Really great-looking games that just didn't hit their mark because they, they asked for too much. And, and I would say that's the biggest thing that happened. Not that the game was badly marketed or that the game didn't look good or anything like that, but that they asked for more than their audience was willing to provide. So, like, um, Nevermind just ended up recently um, coming short of its goal by about $120,000, but they got 130000 So their, their asking amount was very, very high for something like that. Um, we decided to go for a number um, 30000 and that, is, that seems like a small number, and especially for game development, it's not very much. Um, but our goal is to get the minimum amount to essentially work on like a McDonald's line worker salary for the time that it takes for our core team to get the game done and have some money for contracting out other people and um, paying for licenses and marketing and some of the things that we need. Now, okay. I, something i got to interject, sure. because not everybody knows this, but even even that other project you mentioned, how much did they kickstart for? Um, so they were asking for 250000 but they got, a hundred, I think their final amount was 128000 Yeah, so even two hundred fifty k is not a big budget by, no. by any stretch of the, I mean, it's small. I, I mean, I've worked on games that actually haven't <laughs> shipped where the budget just for getting it through its initial kind of prototype phase was in the seven eight $800,000 range. Yeah, and that sounds like um, also a small game. Yeah. So um, you guys should just um, just give him the 30K, all right? It's like, it's well, I get, like he said, it's a line worker salary. You know? <laughs> I, have to, I have to warn you, Tristan, for people who are binge listening to Chatterbox sure. right now, that means people have listened to maybe five episodes in a row because they're on a road I trip. actually do that quite often. When yeah, I so you know what I'm talking about. about. They would have listened to last week's episode. Okay. Followed, I haven't listened yet because I was... I was followed right. by this week's episode. That's usually <laughs> how it works, right? Sure. They listen to 529, then listen to 530. Uh, in that situation, about 20 minutes ago, they heard us talking about how most game-based Kickstarters fail and how you just shouldn't give money to any game Kickstarters. Well... That just happened. Oh, so, did we uh, talk about that last time? Yeah, we did. I, I have zero recollection. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I feel I'm, like I've just stepped into the lion's den or something. <laughs> uh, apparently, the odds are stacked against you putting money into a game Kickstarter and actually getting anything for it, um, which leads us into a topic we might be mentioning later in the show about PayPal and how uh, sort of strong-armish they're being. Sure. Um, or, or they were being until they... Um, I suppose, yeah. Um, stopped being neurotic, but... Basically, the... The best way to do it seems to be, hey, just give us money. We're not promise, promising you anything because that way you don't have to give them anything. I don't know if you're planning on giving like the alphas or the beta or whatever. Is- oh, so uh, no, we have um, we have we spent a lot of time thinking about our reward tiers, and one of the things that we wanted to do is make sure that as many of the tiers as possible linked back into the game directly, um, because our goal is to make the game. Um, even if even if we don't get funded, we're going to make the game. It just will probably take three or four years or something. Um, the uh, the goal for, for our Kickstarter rewards was to make it that we weren't focusing as much on tchotchke, on rewards, kind of like perks and t-shirts and things, as we were on things that linked directly into our production of the game. So uh, behind the scenes documentary, we're offering that. We're offering the ability for people to get their voice or their likeness into the game, even as a 3D model if they pay a high enough tier. 
Um, and we're, we're, ta- we're trying to leverage the production cycle that we would need to be on anyway to get the game done with the, the money that we're asking for. That's good, because nobody wants stickers. But for you to make <laughs> stickers and to ship stickers is a giant pain in the ass. Right, it's a lot of money, and it doesn't necessarily reward players with what they really want, which is the game. All right, well... I want stickers. <laughs> I'll give you a sticker. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. We'll be right back, please. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. All right, we're back. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Now, I... I just said the Kickstarter thing about how apparently nobody actually comes through and finishes games. That's, that was what we were talking about. I, I don't think that nobody but, is an accurate No, by, by nobody we mean um, Less than f- 50% um, finish them and there was like another proportion. Oh, yeah, 50% at least uh, give a partial product and about a third right. actually gave a, what they would call a finished one. Yeah. But that's last show. In other words, very, very little. In- including uh, the guy who came onto this show talking about his Kickstarter, which was just like a simple little app. Sure. Remember, remember Dave with the fly, the flies uh, yes. on the iPad? I to was going to say also no recollection. But. Yeah, to my knowledge, he still has not come through, and this is already a year past when he was yeah. supposed to produce it, or well, a year and a half. I don't know if I mentioned this last show, but it sounds pretty average compared to just video game dev success in general. Yeah, no, I'd that's say. one thing to keep in mind too. Yeah, is that the number of games that get funded by publishers that actually don't materialize or get canceled. So I, I know Ara has a few questions, but I, based on what I was just talking about. I sort of wanted to ask, what do you believe is the chance that this will... Like you said, you're going to make it anyway, whether or not it hits funding. Right. Well, so um, we have our critical path, the, the required progression for the game. Wait a minute. I thought that you were going to say, like, if you don't get funding, you're going to, like, have a picture of a dog with, like, a gun to it, and you're going to, like, do something nasty or something. Oh, yeah, no, we'll totally shoot photographs of whatever you want. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so you're going to make it anyway. So we, we have a good idea of how we're going to scope out the game. And first of all, we're starting with uh, a size that is much more akin to classic survival horror games, which is between five to eight hours of first-time playthrough um, without tons of dilly-dallying and uh, a fairly straightforward critical path that you can progress through. Um, Should we get the bare minimum or not reach our goal, we can still produce that game with limited concern. And we have the, the whole plan for that, and we have a good chunk of it already done. The, uh, the part that we really need the Kickstarter for is to flesh out a more elaborate world. Um, because it's open world, and because the world essentially changes around while you play, um, there isn't as much of a requirement 
to make a big world that is all planned out and all cohesive from the beginning. We're literally building chunks of levels and just dropping them into the, the desert landscape while you play. Okay, so if you don't get funding... We'll all, have less of that. All the dogs in the game will die of starvation. That too. <laughs> and if you do get funding, um, you'll have an ecosystem for dogs to... Um, to thrive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, we, we really need the Kickstarter funding so that we can focus on the game as a full-time production and make it the thing that it needs to be. Um, we are committed to making sure that this game happens, and we picked the amount that was the the minimum that we figured that we needed to actually get the game done. And it seems instead like a small of the amount. Maximum. Right, it's it's the minimum instead of the maximum, right? Um, and we, I have the advantage of because I'm making the game with my wife, um, we can sort of uh, we can rely on less and be worth more since uh, we we don't have to pay for two houses or two. Uh, electric bills, although it's sometimes high, but yeah, um, cannibalism becomes an option after a point. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, we figure out who's the most productive member of the team, and then cannibalize the other one. I guess that yeah. could work as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we don't have too many concerns about the game finishing. Okay, I'm pointing to Ara for those who can't can't see in- us, in including the studio. myself. Because before we before we started the segment, you're like, well, I have a bunch of questions. Yeah, well, I was still waiting for him to finish. <laughs> I was just trying to explain why uh, you guys were wrong from your last show. I mean, so that people. Well, I, mean, I want to jump in and say the point. Basically, you're ma- what you're making here is art, and you're not asking for a whole lot of money. And you are a personal friend of ours, and we want to see you succeed. So I am throwing my hat into this ring and saying that our listeners should support you. But it's with the understanding that like you're supporting someone making something. This this is your first. You're a little like you've worked on stuff before, but your your own studio. This is your first product. You've gotten yes. some attention. I urge. So other people are already playing some sort of bit of this. Is that still right. publicly available? It's not publicly available. Um, we're we're um, using the demo that we currently have for our current version as one of the uh, Kickstarter backer rewards. Um, so anyone who pledges at least five dollars gets the demo once the game is completed. Mm-hmm. Uh, once the game's Kickstarter is completed, and then, so then if you mm-hmm. back it within a month, you could be playing the demo of the game. And then we'll be providing the uh, uh, the additional version early 2015. So let me ask finished. you this. As a Chatterbox listener, yes. if they wanted to see if, they, if it was something they wanted to support, if they want to see this game, is there some sort of video or something they can watch to get a feel for this? Well, so they can go on uh, Kickstarter. Um, I can provide you with the link for that. But the you easiest way to get to Grave. us... Yeah, Fine. the easiest way to get to us is go to Grave dash game.com yeah. or to brokenwindowstudios.com and you can find out a bunch of information about the game and the Kickstarter there. Um, we also have our YouTube channel, Broken Window Studios, and we have uh, Grave Game on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, IndieDB. Okay. All right. So it's not hard to find. You can look at it. You can decide if it's awesome enough to support. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready for a hardcore question. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. Okay. I want them answered immediately. Okay, so, no, you you piqued my interest with what you were saying when we started about how you wanted to do something different with the item system. Sure. So, I'm going to completely guess what you meant by uh, the item systems in these games being problematic, and then you can tell me if that's what you were thinking. Okay. And um, I'd like to hear more about um, what what are these things are going to do. So, in my mind, um, through my extensive uh, experience of playing survival horror games for about 
three hours cumulative total in my life. Okay, so hardcore, hardcore survival. And, and 2.9 of those hours were playing Clock Tower 3. Um, it's, it's, it seems to me like the big problem in all of these games is that... So a lot of the items that you have are resources that you can consume that will yes. help you. But the problem is since you never know when you're going to get the next one... You tend to save them, and since you never know um, where the end of the game is, you tend to just like save them, and even until the end, and never ever use them. Yeah, because even in the last battle, you're like, God, oh, this is probably not really the last battle, I'm right? Because there I might be save a my tougher stuff. thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that that is actually one of the first things that we tried to um, tackle when we were developing this plan. Um, because I'm a huge fan of survival horror games. I've probably finished all of the early Resident Evil and Silent Hill games, like. Two, three dozen times Come each. On, Clock Tower um, is where it's at. Clock Tower is a thing that survival horror is also. But um, okay, so the the thing that survival horror games did that was really cool for a little while and then immediately fell apart once games became more sophisticated is they basically made it for one out of a hundred players who play the exact way they expect them to, which is that they sort of liberally sprinkle their item usage throughout the game without being too good and without being too bad at it, and that they just basically make all the right decisions that the, the designer intended. And so, like, all but you have how to... Does, how does one know that they're making those... That's the problem, is that you don't. Like, it is almost impossible to be that ideal player. Yeah. So if you're good at the game, all you have to do is dodge a few confrontations, and then all of a sudden you've got this obscene surplus of ammunition, and you can start using your best weapons on everything if you wanted to, but then because you're already good at it, you might as well just keep avoiding those confrontations and then not using anything uh, at all. So they have, like, like there's a limited resource in the game, and... And they're basically allocating a budget for how much resources right. they'll expect you to use with each encounter. And then if you're bad at it, you're just constantly hating every single encounter you have because right. you never have enough of anything. Right, because you, if, you're, if you're behind the eight ball, then you're just going to use more and you're right. going to be further and further behind. Yeah, and so modern action horror games have solved this problem by basically just having a director system that figures out how much ammo you have and just gives you the amount that you need for the next confrontation. Usually you kill an enemy That's and then they drop ammo that is equivalent to what you spent in the confrontation, often plus a little bit so that you can actually be moving forward. Um, Do people know this? I mean, I think it's kind of hidden there in the Resident Evil 4 structure and the Dead Space structure. Um, I think that people don't really think about it that much because they're not really playing a survival horror game anymore. They just sort of... It's the skin of a survival horror game that's really just feeding them an exact progression. Like, you can't really be scared about your loss of ammo if all you have to do is kill the guy in front of you to get the amount of ammo you need to fight the next guy. You know what? This, is, this, this could be good for my talk this week, actually. I did not know this. But yeah. Keep going. Well, so, so here's the thing that we're doing. Um, we decided that the way that we're going to fix survival horror is we're going to borrow from a completely different genre, which is the stealth genre. Okay. And we're not doing that by making the game stealth-based. That's not our goal at all. Uh, but what stealth games do is that they give you a set of inventory that is somewhat diverse, that has a lot of different things that have different purposes, whether they're like flashbang grenades or mines or whatever it is that you might find in a game like that. But they're contextually valid. Like, if you have all the stinger missiles in the world, that doesn't make you better at getting through this really hard segment where there's a bunch of guys looking for you because the Singer missiles tell them where you are. And so the, the core like value statement in a stealth game is that your inventory is only as good as its applied use. 
And so the way that we're approaching Grave is that inventory is still a factor. If you run out of something, you will probably have to find more of it at some point. But because every creature in Grave reacts differently to the items that you have, it becomes more of a an experiment with circumstances so that you find out what works with where you currently are in the game and what you're currently facing. And we don't have to be as concerned with oh, we need to make sure we only give them three flashbangs or that we only give them, like, two flashlight batteries because it's not as strict as that. It's going to be challenging whether you have a full inventory or not. So it almost sounds like a kind of a variation of a kind of elemental system where some, some weapons are good in some situations and bad in others. Yes. And it's up to you to figure out what is most effective in what situation. Yeah, and, and keeping that element um, really heavily present in how each enemy kind of comes into and out of combat dynamically, so you don't never ever really know exactly what you're going to encounter. It's not just going to be like, oh, this is the zombie section and this is the, like, liquor section or something. It's it's very organically interspersed through play. Yeah, two essential sections for any game of this type. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> At least the Resident Evil type. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so that that's kind of our, our goal with the concept overall. Well, I mean, I, I'd say that's... Um... I mean, that kind of component, I think, is good for any game that doesn't have it. Yeah, totally. Except for when it annoys you. But, um, I mean, that seems like a, just a good approach in general. Yeah, we think it's, it's the thing that's going to set it apart. We'll be back. summarize the first half of the show grave is a thing you should look at it you should consider supporting it and uh then send us an email and tell us tell us if you did um or if by the way you totally hate what you've seen i also want to get an email so i can pass it off to tristan uh and, so we can let cry him know shame <laughs> yeah well you've already gotten some feedback right well yeah i mean most of our feedback has been positive some people uh, are uncomfortable with the comparison to alan wake because there's like flashlights and the flashlights can do things to the creatures. So Wait, God, who's, God making, who's making the comparison? Uh, gamers, just on a couple of websites, have made the, Four, the link. 14-year-olds. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to criticize them too heavily. I'm sure that they That's have okay. the reasons. You won't, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to get away from Grave here. There's a couple other things that we wanted to talk about. Um, we, I guess we brought up PayPal and Kickstarter already. So yeah, this is a back. funny little story. This is, um, this, this is kind of half-assed, but um, it's interesting. So, you know, PayPal was involved in a bunch of Kickstarter stuff, and there's a story. This actually happened back in last September. But there were, there were a bunch of Kickstarters where I guess PayPal didn't realize what Kickstarter was. And so they engaged in a lot of, um, if you weren't involved, very funny behavior. And if you were involved, well, it meant you didn't get your money that you were supposed to get. Can I, can I pause you for one second? I'm, I'm now remembering that 
Kickstarter funding is all done through Amazon Payments? Yeah, the the direct stuff is done through that. Yeah. I mean, some people use PayPal as kind of a supplement to Kickstarter. Can, but can you pay for Amazon Payments with PayPal? Because I'm trying to figure out where they even enter the Kickstarter ecosystem. So I, I think that you can. I mean, so like I've done a few um, Kickstarter backings myself. And I mean, I actually, I just go directly through Amazon Payments and put in my credit card. Um, but I think you can do it with PayPal as well. You can pay with PayPal to Amazon. Yeah, I believe so, yes. Okay, yeah, I, that, that must be the situation. Work. Otherwise, I can't see where PayPal even enters it. Yeah, um, let's just pretend that's totally true. Yeah, we're going to assume that's what happens because we don't actually know. Um, so there's there's three examples. And so the first example is basically a $45,000 funding. second one was uh, in the neighborhood of around 100 k And the second one is in the neighborhood of about $1.5 million. That's a lot. And that's a lot. And it's funny because the first uh, – so the 45K funded uh, project, which was actually an email client. It wasn't a game. So PayPal, in their supreme diligence, said, oh, yeah, all this $45,000 in funds, um, there's uh, so much potential for fraud here that, um, yeah, we're going to freeze this for um, uh, at least a year or until you have a verifiable 1.0 release of the product. So the money that was intended to actually create the product was then frozen so, until the yeah, product Yeah, you, you see the little sticking point there? Like, money we're supposed to get to make the thing you can't Oh, maybe they were storing the money in their PayPal account. Can you do that? Um, I, I guess I, this sounds like just basically PayPal misunderstanding, like, the pseudo-investor relationship. I'm still just trying to figure out how PayPal comes into it. Yeah, because so, now at this <clears> point, it's you, it's you, as the guy who's running the Kickstarter, gets your money and has it deposited into PayPal well, as they opposed were, to so a bank account. They were holding the money. This sounds to me like it actually might be referring to the kind of side pocket that people do with Kickstarters. A lot of people will actually do separate funding through PayPal as a general kind of like secondary funding. Um, I mean so like their they, own website that right, says well, you can fund us directly instead of Kickstarter. Essentially, yeah, funding directly through PayPal instead of through Kickstarter. Okay. It sounds to me like from what what Ara's reading here, it's probably more that than it is just using PayPal to like pay Amazon payments. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if Amazon payments, when they transfer the money to you, if they're transferring it to their PayPal account as opposed to a bank account. I'll, I'll actually have to look through that. Oh, out, yeah. You sure. know what? That, that, I'm because at this point, we're, we're not talking about the payers. We're talking about the recipients. Yeah, that sounds right. plausible. Okay. Well, uh, if that's not luscious enough for you, um, PayPal went a little bit even further, and they decided to play um, uh, product publisher or something. And they're like, hey, you know what? Um, instead of uh, you know waiting for a year or um, bringing the product out and developing it first, um, another option is uh, you, know, you can make an itemized budget and uh, tell us what your development goal dates are. So uh, I guess ostensibly so they can manage that. So, um, so what they can determine when you should receive your I, like, yeah, payments? I don't or? know. So suddenly, like you're working for PayPal, I guess, which is uh, really just on another. This point. is a problem when you operate as a bank, but you actually aren't one. <laughs> yeah, and so you know they did a they did a similar kind of thing about two weeks or within a span of two weeks around last September. So there's this other game called Yatagarasu Attack that, and they raised around 118k. And then this other game called Dreamfall Chapters: The Longest Journey, and they got a whopping 1.5 million. 1.5 million. And they basically told both of those game developers, um, "Yeah, you know what? Um, we're going to keep up to uh, half of the money you raised until after the game is released, because um, you don't need that money for this project, really." 
Okay, I, I think we might have talked about this in the past, too. Basically, shenanigans. But did they change their tune recently? Was there some new... Well, I, I think, yeah. And I think a lot of this, a lot of these problems, I think, stemmed from uh, either people at PayPal thinking that... Well, I'm led to believe that whoever's making these decisions at PayPal thought that people who were funding projects... What's the actual word for... Who are you, backer. Their backers? Backer, people who were backing... I guess, thought that they were essentially pre-ordering a product when uh, this is clearly not the relationship. It's a much engaging. softer kind of relationship. Yeah. yeah, it's like you're loaning money to your relative, which means uh, never expect anything back from it. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, now that's not smart. true. I mean, so no, 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 no. I'm saying, look, I'm saying if He's you... If, I'm <laughs> saying if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're me right. and you loan money to a relative... You don't expect it back. It'd be nice if you got it back, but it's like you can't sue them. Well, that's actually not true, though. I mean, so you are subjected to potential lawsuits through Kickstarter, at least. I don't know about doing PayPal things on the side, but Kickstarter, you actually do have to deliver the rewards that you described. Um, They don't judge your quality metrics. So, like, if the game is not as good as you'd advertise it to be, that's not something that you can do anything about. But you do have to ship a game... If you said you were going to ship yeah, a game, that's great. It's a great to have a rule where you can really? make it big enough so that you can do. My understanding you want. and everything I've seen in the comments is all about how you're backing someone's project and there's no guarantee. Well, the reality is that the guarantees are not at all the same as like a publisher relationship. I mean, it is. Te- I thought like, Kickstarter was explicit about how it is not a guarantee. They actually are not. You are required as somebody who is launching a Kickstarter to fulfill fully the rewards that you set out to fulfill. Um, you are not legally protected from being sued. Again. But that's that's but why they do like the tchotchke rewards instead of your reward is um, no, like but, an, an awesome game. So the, but, so the rewards and the project are different things, right? So I say, I want to start my own record label and I want you to help me out with it. Right, but, but you, you can't. Start if you send me five bucks, then I'm going to send you a postcard. Yeah, you you can. can't start something quite that vague. It has to be something that has kind of like, um, and I mean, I don't know all of the terms of service for putting a project on Kickstarter, but like, you can't say I'm starting a game studio. Give me money. You have to say things like I'm starting a game, or I'm doing this record, or I'm doing this thing that has some kind of a tangible result. Because that result is part of the reward tiers that you provide. Like, you, you can't say, oh, I'm not going to make the game, but I'm going to give you a t-shirt if any of the reward tiers actually have the game included in it. Um, now, they don't expect you to get, like, a 9 out of 10 on the Metacritic or something to make sure that the game is good enough. But I, I guess, um, I mean, they, you can't be held uh, liable for more than, you know, what, what a single individual invested, right? Well, no, you, you can be liable for having to at least refund what people invested if yeah, they didn't yeah. get what they well, were providing. Well, another issue with... Just uh, lawsuits is you can't you can't sue for more than damages, right? And right. the damage in this situation would only be how much you gave them to begin right. with. Has there ever been a class action about this kind of stuff? I think Kickstarter is still a little too new. I haven't actually heard yeah. about one that was genuinely yeah. sued. I mean, how that. many lawyers are just like frothing at the teeth? Of I don't potential know. But everything you're telling me is contrary to everything I've known about Kickstarter. Well, I think that the problem is that when people talk about Kickstarter, they talk about it in terms of the kind of two different things. Um, the first thing is like the the general backer relationship of like you give them money and then they have something they have to give you. And there's actually a responsibility that the Kickstarter uh, project owner has to do that. Um, what I think a lot of people refer to when they say that there are no guarantees 
is the difference between a Kickstarter backer that may give millions of dollars in aggregate to a game and a publisher that gives millions of dollars with requirements of milestones and tiers and guarantees. Well, PayPal's got that covered. Yeah. Right, well, <laughs> PayPal's taking care of that then. Yeah. Um, but I think, and that's the thing that's, that's concerning to some people about Kickstarter, is that, you know, if somebody doesn't know that they can't finish the game, and they just work on it with, you know, good intentions, and then find out that they're like, $700,000 over budget on a game that they got 7000 for in backers, like, then they, there's no guarantees that keep that chain in line and make sure that people are doing things that are within scope and that make sense. And that's where most of the risk comes in. <laughs> Essentially, there's still a risk that they're just not going to create something. So that's fine. Okay, so, are we done with the PayPal stuff? I've said enough. So I wanted to... We only have a couple minutes. I don't know how far we're going to get into this. Um, well, I should ask. First of all, there was this whole... Before we started recording the show, now I'm talking to the listeners, not to you all. Before we started recording the show, uh, the three of us were in some deep argument about death. Oh, I don't think it was a deep argument. Right. <laughs> it was but, actually a very shallow not, argument. About it, was it. A very, argument. it was a very loud yeah. argument. But I think it all started from us discussing what you were going to talk about at this thing on Wednesday. Yeah. Now, do we want to get into that, or do we want just want to save it for your talk on Wednesday? I, I think, okay, let's talk about Chroma, and we'll see how long we last, and then uh, let's dedicate the rest of the show to um, the argumentation. Petty or, or we can talk about Titanfall, because okay. I, got, I got a thing about Titanfall I want to yeah, ask you about. Oh, me? Yeah. Um, okay, well, we can do that, too. Okay. But then there won't be as much arguing. Well, that's, <laughs> that's true. Okay, so let's let's go through let, Chroma because we have just like two minutes. Chroma because we just have enough time in this segment for that. So, I am very very surprised, but I shouldn't be that surprised. Harmonics announced uh, maybe a couple weeks ago their newest game, and it's music related, but it's what they're calling. Well, the name's called Chroma, and what they're calling it is a beat-matching first-person shooter. Yeah, I read about this. So, in other words, um, when you perform actions that are on on the beat, or I guess on the downbeat, as they say, I never, I could never understand that. Like, down, like, what do you mean downbeat? I can tell you what the downbeat is. You mean, like, where, where's the upbeat if there's a downbeat? And It's the halfbeat, right? So, like, if you're before, oh. dun, 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 dun. And okay. then imagine you've got a kick pedal with the down and the up. That makes no sense to me. But that, was, that was like going into three. Don't, okay. Don't, anyway. Anyway, um, we'll tell you more about it when we. Okay, we'll be right back. We're back once again. Chatterbox Video Game Radio with special guest Tristan Moore. Hi. That is your 
yeah. last name. Yeah, right? yeah. You, are, you are agreeable to having your last name. I believe in the Kickstarter video, you give your name, and it has more syllables than just Tristan Well, it's a Tristan Parrish Moore is my first, middle, and last name. And ah. uh, so I, I, I go back and forth on which one I refer to myself as. But I, I kind of like the ring of Tristan Parrish Moore. So. Okay. TPP. That's not a TPM. Right, that's what I actually meant. That's, that's, <laughs> now it's lame. It's not alliterating. I don't want to say that anymore. Okay. Um, so it's just really interesting, okay? So without getting into the complexities of up and down beats, um, basically if you, right, if you do something like a jump on the, the down beat, then you'll jump farther in this game. And if you do a dash in the same way, you'll dash farther. And when you throw a grenade, um, well... They always explode on the downbeat. Do they blast larger? So no, like it's just they, the they only explode on the downbeat. So I guess like you have, you have some kind of, when there's a grenade, you have some kind of idea of when it's going to blow up, right? So the idea is to create a rhythm of shooter combat. Yeah, I, I can tell you a, this fascinates me, and I totally want to play it. It's it's a rhythm game shooter, uh, first person shooter hybrid, and there's the thing that's interesting about it. Um, is that besides the fact that I actually had this idea last year, but I didn't do anything with it, um, which is fine because that's what happens all the time in games. Just people don't seem to give credit to that. <laughs> but um, there's, it's funny because they were talking about, I actually don't think this game will be big. I don't think it will be <clears throat> sell well. I don't think it will be um, as accessible huh, as people think. I agree. Because of very specific reasons. Because there are two genres that don't mix very well. Well, well I have specific well, audiences, reasons why I, guess. I don't think they'll mix well. Okay. And uh, I think that they had that problem while in development. They basically alluded to it in some of the articles I read about it. But I think it's going to be much, much worse than any of the devs realize. And it kind of pains me to say this because, um, well, I mean, look, they're horrendously successful. So, um, I mean, I, I, you can't fathom... Like, how can this product be more successful than their last franchise, right? Or the one before that? Yeah, well, I mean, the last game they made was an Xbox Live game, as far as I know. And I basically only know one person who ever bought it. What's that? It was, uh, they don't make Guitar Hero anymore, do they? Do they? No, oh, but they were, I mean, I, I was talking about Rock Band and Dance Central. Yeah, but they made, uh... Rock Band something. It was Rock Band subtitle something, oh. which was Xbox Live. Use use the controller. It yeah. was kind of like well, frequency. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, that was... I don't know what... what it's kind of like Boom Boom there. Rocket. Not yeah, I remember that. Um, but my point is, nobody knows about it, right? Yeah. So, uh, clearly they can make things that aren't just automatically popular. Yeah, and this actually... Even with the name Rock Band in it, it yeah. was not very popular. Yeah, yeah. This actually has... Um, uh, Rock Band I Blitz. Just, I just, That's what it was called. There you Rock go. Band Blitz. Yep, yep. Uh, this has a lot to do with some of the stuff I'm going to be talking about in my talk this week, actually. Because uh, one of the things I'm going to discuss, which I don't feel anybody discusses, is something I call mappability. And what I mean is the mappability of a certain activity to actually being an accessible and deep experience. And, and I'll just say, say briefly why I think this is not going to work. The reason why it's not going to work is because... There are too many people who are too accustomed to shooting when something is in their sights and not delaying their actions to be on a beat. And in this game, in order to play the most optimally, you have to refrain from doing your natural instinct 
and you have to perform things on the beat by waiting until the beat in order to be successful. And I think this is just going to be way too hard for most people to do. Without uh, revealing anything that I was under NDA for, I worked on a couple of games that had some experimentation with things similar to this. Um, And the, the main challenge is the idea of, like, perceptible value for the development time. Like, so if we're doing something that has something rhythm-based, how complicated is it to develop a system like that? And how much actual return to the player does it provide? Like, are they really getting much more of an experience out of that? Or could you just leave it out entirely and it's only like 5% Yeah, maybe, maybe they are. But my point is that let's assume there's a lot of – they're getting a lot of whatever out of right. that experience. My problem is that they're never going to be able to really enjoy it or get to that level because so many of us who play these games are so deeply trained into playing a certain way and this kind of game requires you to play in a different way that you're not accustomed to. Yeah, and it doesn't lock any of the other elements of a shooter, right? Like you still have to aim and move and have all those kind of free... Well, we don't actually know, but yeah. that's well, good, Ostensibly, that's you could ignore all of the rhythm aspects and you could still play competently. Okay. But I, I can tell you, especially after revisiting first-person shooters now that I've been playing Titanfall a lot, um, learning something like that or adjusting play in order to be most effective, um, it's, not, it's not crazy. What is crazy is that in order to be effective at this game, you will have to be musical. And those... Or at least rhythmical. Yeah. Not a lot of people are, right? Like, Rock Band Guitar Hero were very popular because there was something very... The the musical nature of it was incredibly obvious and could be simple, right? It was also the only component. I mean, like, you could still miss when shooting in a game that's rhythm-based. But, like, we we all air guitar at some point, right? And that's they, they even came out and said, like, this is for people who like air guitar. You get to do it sort of for real-ish, right? Use a real thing. and uh, But you still didn't have to be good at it. And if, if, they make, if they make the audio in it so obvious and easy enough that anybody can adjust, it can involve adjustment. But as long as it doesn't take someone to be naturally musical, then I'm not worried about that adjustment. If, if it takes someone to have this natural talent of rhythm and whatever to be successful at that game, then I do think it's going to be harder for that thing to be successful. Either way, it will not be very successful no matter what, just because it's so quirky and weird. Uh, yeah. I, I don't expect I, much from it. I've got the same read. <clears throat> I, I but I, I'm, I am going to love it, because I'm the perfect mix. I definitely think it's a cool idea, but I think that the thing that's most concerning is that like, if somebody's extremely skilled at a shooter, um, the balance has to be such that somebody who is super skilled and can fire continuously and do things without any regard for the beat has to be still playing less effectively than somebody who plays to the beat. And that actually introduces just like two separate tiers of skill challenge that somebody who is not necessarily great at either of those things has to excel at simultaneously. And so then, because otherwise you don't have enough difference between being on the beat and not being on the beat to make a normal shooter player actually deviate now, from I'm, their normal given, play. given that that's the entire premise of this game, I'm fairly certain that there will be major rewards. Well, I don't know. Uh, Dead Space's entire premise was unlearning the headshot and strategic dismemberment, and they completely neutered that by the time it was released. Well, that's so. bad development. What do you want? <laughs> Harmonics I have confidence in. But I, I... Well, yeah, it's not actually them developing it, by the way. What? Uh, yeah, some other studio. They're just, um, like, I don't know. Like, it's just watch, their idea. Watching them and whipping them, I don't know. That's lame. 
This is like Cliffy B. Like, I'm sure they're still going to be no, quality. They'll no, still be quality control. Yeah, the, the, it's going to be really interesting um, how those components are balanced, and I don't think any of us can really accurately predict uh, which way it's going to go. I think it could probably go one of several different ways. And the interesting thing is that the game could be either maybe uh, really awesome or completely pointless, depending on uh, what combo they end up using. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you want to hear my, my question to you about about Titanfall? I'm so, I'm so curious. Okay, like, so... what could I have to say? What could I, what could I possibly bring to the Titanfall So table? you haven't played a lot of first-person shooters. Besides really bad, um, like, mismatching of I'm words. guessing you haven't played... Uh, Call of Duty as well, right? I haven't actually played Call of Duty. Okay, good. Right. So, what do you mean actually? There's it some doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So here's the in this game, it follows what some of the later Call of Duty games have done as well, where you level up throughout. Time. Right, because uh, they were the original developers. Yeah, yeah. So you play the game and you get experience points when you play based on how many times you killed things or people or did. You know, challenges like made 50 headshots with this gun and that gives you extra experience, whatever. So there's a whole experience-based system. And as you go up in rank, that unlocks things. Like now you can use this new gun that you couldn't use before. Um, Also, it unlocks modifications for your weapons and different tactical abilities. So you could, let's say, be more quiet with your footsteps or jump higher or something. Um, So it unlocks all of these things. Point is, there's a ranking leveling system that has actual results, not just look at my level, I'm higher, right? Um, and it maxes out at level 50. And after that, once you level up level 50, like you get, it has some experience levels. Uh, I mean, actually, 49 is the highest that you can rank up. Then you get to 50, and it's like, well, hey, you can stay at 50 at this max level. Or if you want, you can roll over. They call it so re- regenerate. It's the, it's the concept of prestiging, but they use the word regenerate in Titanfall. Mm. Here's the thing. I had never heard of prestiging because I never played Call of Duty. Oh, games. really? Right. So, this so is, what, what, do you guys live under rocks? Like, I don't yes, understand how yes. Yeah, we live under the rocks. I'm the only one in the room. That's called the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, outdoor sun so, and world. To our listeners oh. who have played this, I'm just describing the prestige system from Call of Duty, but I knew that Ara didn't know about it because I didn't know about and it. And I also didn't know about it. Yeah, so you level up, and then it lets you completely wipe everything you've done playing for all of the time you've played, go back to level one. You yeah. do not have things unlocked. Yeah. Uh, you don't get any real benefit so from rolling the over. There get? is none, you get... with the exception of you now get experience faster, so you can move up these levels faster, but you don't actually get anything new. Do you get like a special like, uh, oh, you badge? Get a, you do get yes. a badge. When you're playing, people see that you're out. You would also unlock bonuses if you get several prestige levels. Like yeah. Not yeah. in Titanfall. No, really? Okay. Not in Titanfall. Okay. And that's what people, some people are complaining about. Like, why would I roll over when there's really no advantage? No, people are doing it anyway. And I can tell you, personally, I am continuing to play this game. And I have a personal drive to play this game every day just to level up. Not to play the game. Right. But to play the game for the purpose of leveling up. So that is my goal. The goal is not enjoy the game. Yeah. The goal is level. That's I, right. You're I can getting... explain the, that, I think. If, well, we, I mean, we talked Call about Duty this. Player, we I talked guess. about this. But it's, it's crazy. And I know it's crazy. And I'm doing it anyway. And I'm wondering if either of you, perhaps, have some insight into the psychology for... Like, why would anyone do this system where they roll over and lose everything? With, I do. <laughs> with literally no advantage. The only advantage is you get some... Some things called burn cards, which are basically useless and you get anyway. Um, there, there's virtually zero advantage to rolling over, except for the social proof of saying, oh, well, hey, I'm now a level 7 regen. 
Well, uh, or generation I don't hear what seven. Tristan has to say. It's actually a lot simpler than that. I mean, so first of all, when whenever I played games that let you like keep your inventory, I always reset it because I actually enjoyed the journey of building on my character. Yeah, me and, too. But it's it's ridiculous. And what you said though about the fact that you're not really playing it to do anything but level up is actually the answer to the question. Like, I mean, and it, it's kind of a bit cynical sounding, but you play that game primarily to have the experience of building up. And once you've built up all the way, the experience is gone. So a huge chunk of your incentive for playing doesn't exist anymore if you don't have that journey. Now, they could have made just a much bigger journey with more weapons and more stuff and higher levels and made it take longer, but then you wouldn't have that feeling of accomplishment at the end of that journey, which you can then go back and have again. Um, It it really is like it's, it's the... Schrodinger's, or I'm sorry, the, uh, um, what is the, the, uh, the experiment with the, basically, like, pressing the buttons? Skinner box? Yeah, Skinner box. Um, so it's basically, it's, it's a Skinner box that is doing an exceptional job of it, so much so that you want the Skinner box more than you want any of it, the stuff it's actually giving you. Okay. So that's the strange bit to me, is that they make this game, which presumably is a game that is fun to play. For the act of playing. And the game itself is not what is attracting me to continue playing. Okay. I'm going to explain exactly what uh, Tristan explained, except using bigger words. Oh, Oh, thanks, R. Okay. So, actually what's happening is... This is like... What's happening is that you're doing it for the extrinsic reward, and the extrinsic reward has diminished the intrinsic reward that you get from... The game, and what that means is that it's it's like there's a famous experiment they did, and by they I mean um, people whose names I can't remember who are important and scientists. They did this experiment where there's this um, program where there was a uh, student reading program, and the incentive for reading books, you know, like in fourth grade, you read books and you get something, or you're trying to read more books than everyone else, or whatever. Well, they had an incentive, and the incentive was pizza. And what they found out was Book that... Book it. It's called Book It. Maybe. I'll take your word for it. Yes. Uh, they found out that uh, when students um, read books to get pizza, they don't like reading books more. They actually like reading books less. And the, uh, the reason is because the reading a book because you like it is intrinsically rewarding. But... Reading a book to get pizza is extrinsically rewarding because you're doing the task to get the pizza. And that kind of a relationship in a lot of cases somehow uh, makes it so that um, you hate doing the activity more and you like uh, the thing that you're getting more than the, the actual activity itself. So at the end of this thing, they basically, the running joke is that, um, hey, look, instead what they should have done is give out books for kids eating pizza. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm still, I still want to go home and play and get up higher. Yeah, because the extrinsic reward in your mind is more motivating right now than the intrinsic reward. The thing is, I don't, it's weird. I don't know that it's necessarily the reward of being the level 50 as it is. is I want a goal while playing. And because the game is so repetitive, yeah. well, like, I not- want to know, oh, I got... I got this new it's thing. It's not just the level. It's you go making the numbers go bigger. You're getting yeah. duped along. It's, I know I am. That's the <laughs> thing. I know I am, but I want to keep doing it. 
and I'm watching my life waste away in front of me while I have no nothing else to do with my life. I think I got I like playing fifth all of prestige Titanfall. in the last Call of Duty, so I understand. Yeah. All right. Well, end of the show. I want to go home and play some Titanfall. So glad I know what prestige. I'll talk to you guys next week. Good night, guys. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.